Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Steeler Fury. You have tuned in to the Pittsburgh Steelers show on the SteelerFury.com podcast. Oh, what a week. <laughs> I think we're going to have something to talk about. I am your host, Ratshot of Ben, a.k.a. Accidental Zen on Twitter. In real life, occasionally they call me Will Masasek. We'll see about that if I'm allowed to keep my name after last week's debacle. Here with me, as always, to talk about it are uh, the two best cohorts in Steelers Nation. Uh, the first is uh, an angry curmudgeon who's in Pittsburgh. His name is Steel Perch. How are you, sir? I'm in Buffalo, man. I got the hell out of Pittsburgh. I had to go somewhere <laughs> with a winning football team. Good-looking quarterback there, too. Uh, also with us from somewhere in the in the deep south in the... I don't know. Does it really qualify as the deep south there in Augusta? I guess it does. Um, he is <laughs> FC. He's with us. How are you, sir? What's that? Doing well, and yeah, this is definitely would be the definition of the Deep South. They're like, <laughs> we're going to have cooler weather today. High of 89. I was like, are you fucking kidding? <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's not cool by any definition. Right. Uh, speaking of stone cold, uh, that would be your Pittsburgh Steelers at 0-2. They lost Ben Roethlisberger for the season. It's been a hell of a year, gentlemen. Um, I, I know where Perch is going to go with this. So, FC, I'm going to start with you and ask you, is Sunday the day like we're all going to remember where we were? It's going to be like Black Sunday that we'll celebrate the anniversary of it 20 years from now. Uh, how did you feel about the, you know, where you're where you currently feeling with the, the Pittsburgh Steelers? Um, I don't think that's going to be la- Ben's last game. I just, I really don't. I think he's going to attempt to come back regardless of what happens with the Steelers this year. Um, you know, he's a first, he's a first ballot hall of famer. Um, in most of my fo- formative football years, my, I, we went, we've listed the quarterbacks over the years that there's been dislocate your screen name of Bradshaw to Ben. Uh, those quarterbacks in between the two, uh, were interesting, and I was hoping that we'd never see those days again. Um, I happen to be a pretty big believer in Mason Rudolph, maybe too much of a believer. That doesn't mean I don't think 
Ben is a fantastic quarterback. That just means I was impressed with some of the things that Mason Rudolph showed me on Sunday. And as horrible as it sounds, it's like next guy up league. Am I going to miss Ben? Absolutely. Am I going to cheer for my balls off for Mason Rudolph? Yeah. Am I still the same amount of a Steeler fan as I was last Sunday? Yeah. You know, it's perspective. I guess it's getting older and that shit. But, yeah. Um, A, I think Ben will play again next year. And, B, I have uh, some faith in Mason Rudolph. Maybe a little bit too much faith. All right. That was the uh, the optimist side. Now we'll go to Perch. Perch, how are you doing? Well, I haven't jumped off the bridge yet. You know, I, you, I think you're you're world famous for for being the vice president of the Big Ben fan club. I I think I'm I'm the far away the the president uh, and the founder and a member. Uh, so yeah, that was the, the 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 one injury and the one day and the one thing that uh, I've been dreading for a long time. And and uh, fortunate to hear Ben come out pretty quick with a statement that he fully intends to to honor that contract and play out the last two years, but. Uh, you know, I'll talk. I guess I'll, I'll go on my tangent and talk about you know how Ben got hurt. How many years have we been so impressed and people made comments about how violent his pump fake is? Yeah. Like he literally throws that football and can pull it back down. I'm 99% positive that all those pump fakes over the years is, is what did him in. I think that that motion of you know, throwing that ball in and yanking it back down. I think it's how he got hurt was on the pump fake. And then after he threw it, he was, you know, grasping his hand and you could tell that uh, he had some issues there. But uh, yeah, I mean, on, on the positive side, like FC said, we're going to get to see Mason Rudolph. The Steelers had a first round grade on him. I personally thought he was maybe the third or fourth best quarterback in that class. And I probably had like a second round grade on him. Uh, I think he could be a good starter in the league. He's, I don't think he's ever going to be a top 10 guy. You know, I don't think he's ever going to be somebody like Ben. Um, but the Steelers are going to get a good look at him this year. Over 14 extended games. Um, I think he opens the offense up a lot more, too. Whereas the Steelers with Ben, the lowest play-action team in the NFL. And if you look at in the analytics, that play-action is so much more effective per play on a yard-per-yard basis over just standard drop back and pass or handoff uh, football is and the Steelers are really really trailing that because Ben likes to be in shotgun he likes to see the whole field he likes to spread it out with four and five wides and that's how he feels comfortable and we always sit there and scream why the hell do the Steelers never do play action and Mason Rudolph comes in and here comes play action and here comes two tight end uh, uh, touchdowns passes the tight ends in the red zone I think that'll open some things up Uh, Tomlin made a comment this week as well about James Washington and, and with Mason Rudolph being in there, it may lead to their familiarity getting more snaps, which I think the three of us are in agreement that the three young wide receivers, uh, Juju and uh, Deontay and, and Washington, need to be getting all the snaps. So I think on a positive, we're going to see 14 games of three young receivers and a young quarterback and two young running backs getting to go out and, and, and show what they can do, and it'll give the Steelers a good – a good jumping off platform for, for, for the draft where they're going to know what they have in those guys and do they need to upgrade wide receiver or tight end or running back or what, what do they need to do? So, you know, there's a million different ways to take it, but yeah, uh, we're probably nearing the end on that. He's probably got two years left and that's going to be it. And it's a sad day to realize we could see the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Well, I, I like to use the jumping off uh, metaphor because, 
you didn't jump off the bridge, but we might after we see 14 games of this. Um, I'll add a couple of things. First is um, Ben may have two years left at him, but there's a, there may only be one year left of the NFL because there's just there's a a new you know player contract uh, on the table after next year, and uh, it, it it just sort of appears to me it's kind of gauging what's going on everywhere with players and player movement and players who are refusing to fit into the paradigm of what they're expected to do as far as staying with their teams and honoring contracts and, and uh, not forcing their way out of, you know, a contract. Uh, it just makes me feel like we're headed for some, some entirely new landscape after 2020 and that that very well, very well might result in a year without Santa Claus. Um, so if that's, if that comes to pass, you know, that makes it even more and more urgent. And I think that if you, if you put that template on what the Steelers did since Ben left, uh, that might uh, give us a better idea of why, uh, make the deal they made for Minka Fitzpatrick. FC, I know you're a fan. Uh, even though you're a fan of Minka Fitzpatrick and you might feel like he really addresses something that the Steelers need in terms of better safety play or better slot play, uh, what did you think about the deal, giving up the first-round draft pick for that in a year where you don't have Ben? Um, I see both sides of the argument. I personally fall on the side of John Davis was done here after this year. We were going to have to draft the safety. Well, we may not take one in the first round, but would we get a player as talented um, in the draft as Minka Fitzpatrick? And I think Minka Fitzpatrick might be a similar to a slightly inferior prospect to Delpit from LSU. Um, but that's it. So... I have no problems with it. Um, I'm not 100% sure that Mika Fitzpatrick is just going to play free safety like you brought up earlier today. I don't expect very much movement this week with San Francisco being he's only going to get three practices. But I won't be shocked to see him lying up, you know, uh, 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 as a a slot corner for the Steelers in a week or two. Um, I expect the Steelers are going to move him around. He is a playmaker. Um, in a way, he's very similar. He's like a combination of Carnell Lake and Troy Palomalo, in a way, which sounds – he's not – like I'm not saying he's going to be that type of player. I am. Um, he's not as dynamic <laughs> as Troy, not as explosive as Troy, but he has that flair like Troy Palomalo did. And he has a physicality to his game, even though he's a 190-pounder like Carnell Lake had. Um, everyone talks about how great he is in coverage. My big thing is watch him, watch him take on a block. Watch him engage a block. Watch him, you know, the physicality that he approaches the game with. He is a quiet leader in a way. He goes out there, he plays, and players have to follow. He's kind of, I like to call a heartbeat player, where – he makes players around him slightly better. Now I know that's going to bring up Humperdoodle Edmonds, and uh, <laughs> I just, I just don't see it. A turd is a turd, and uh, so. But I think, yeah, I, I actually have no problems with the uh, Fitzpatrick edition. Yeah, I mean, uh, Perch, I, I think, uh, you know, I mean, I'm interested to hear what your take is on this deal. I do. I will say this though, that if you are an NFL team and you don't have a free safety who is able to 
drop down in the slot and cover somebody, or better yet, play off man uh, coverage against someone in the slot, whether it be a big slot guy like a move tight end or you know a wide receiver from the outside like Keenan Allen coming into the slot just to try to like you know force a bad matchup on you. If you don't have a free safety that can play that guy, you're dead in the way the current NFL is because there is no longer a you know, set formation where the, all those receivers are only on the outside and they're not in the slot. And uh, if you get on the, you know, it's heavy to one side, the other side of the formation, you basically always have off-man coverage for the free safety. And so Steelers have gotten traditionally killed with that the last few years, especially against good quarterbacks who can manipulate your pre-snap. Um, so from that standpoint, I, I think he fits that mold and I'm sort of, you know, in favor of the deal. Uh, Perch, what do you what do you make of this deal in light of the first round pick being given up and in light of, you know, uh, you know, why not take your first round pick now? That argument. Of all the years, this is what FC and I were, <laughs> were discussing before the call started, that we wish the team got aggressive to make that one move to get that one extra defender to help the team get to the Super Bowl. Of all the years to do it, this was not the year to do it, right? Week two, you're 0-2 and Ben's hurt for the season and you're staring down maybe a top five pick and you give that away. Now, having said that, you know, if they were 2-0 and and Ben was still playing and we traded for Fitzpatrick, I think it would be damn near unanimous. We'd all be doing backflips over it. So I'm kind of torn down the middle, whereas, you know, is he as good as the people who are going to be there in the top 10 next year? I'd say probably. I think I had him rated as my first or second highest defensive player in the draft last year. I was very, very high. Probably higher than most people on it just because of what you said. You've got to have that versatility on defense, especially in the secondary. Um, but, you know, Bud Dupree is probably not working out. He's going to be a free agent. And if you could pair T.J. Watt with maybe the first or second best edge rusher in the next draft, or just having that, or maybe the best wide receiver, having that flexibility with a top 10 pick uh, instead of the free safety. So I'm kind of down the middle on it. But back to your point, though, the Steelers get out-manipulated by opposing quarterbacks and offensive coordinators and head coaches, like we saw with Belichick, where he's putting his tight end and his fullback out wide, and, and they're covering our uh, our, our top corners are covering those guys, and then all of a sudden we're isolated linebackers and safeties against good receivers. If you're going to be that inflexible and, and that rigid to, to not be able to adjust, you better have some goddamn good cover men playing safety and, and linebacker. And I think that's what these moves did. You know, I think that um, trading up for Bush and trading for Fitzpatrick at least gives them athleticism and talent to possibly cover people with your inside guys that they didn't have before. Um, uh, you know, outside of getting a new defensive coordinator, problems aren't going to be fixed, but they'll at least be patched up with a guy like Minka back there. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know, FC. I feel like uh, the new additions, you know, Steven Nelson, I, I can't go without saying there's so many negatives have been said about the Steelers play over all the first two games. And, of course, with Ben being out and all these question marks uh, and – Especially the you know the defense, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, Steven Nelson has been like a revelation. He's been fantastic in the first two games. So at least I, at, I at least want to take a minute and mention that. Um, Devin Bush in coverage has not been fantastic. Uh, it, it, or, is this just growing pains, or is he always going to face this sort of you know liability because of his size? 
Absolute growing pains, I believe. Um, he got away with a lot of stuff in the Big Ten. And I'm, it wouldn't matter if he played in the SEC, the Pac-10, the AAC. I don't care. He got away with things in college that he's not going to be able to get away with in the pros. Will Disley can make you look like a fool. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he had some issues. He, he made some mental mistakes. Um, London Fletcher was a fantastic cover linebacker in the NFL for about 18 years. And he played through the running shoot era. And uh, same thing could be said for Sam Mills, who never came off the field. And Devin Bush is taller than both those players. And they were able to excel in a tougher, harder NFL in a way um, because it was a, a more physical game. You could come out, you could chop linebackers. You, there's, it was just a more violent game. Uh, the, the passing game is definitely now more complex. And, you know, the rules favor the offense where you can't strike receivers in the melon or, you know, at the knees. <laughs> there's there's a, just wide range of rules. But, no, I, I think that, that coverage is actually in the long run going to be, you know, a strength of Devin Bush's game. And if it's not, the Steelers blew a pick because – He's never going to be a super physical type player. He's still attempting to take on offensive linemen blocks. He, you can do that a few times. You're not going to make a living as a five foot ten, two hundred thirty pound linebacker taking on six foot five, three hundred forty pound Matt. You know, Devin Bush trying to take on you know DJ Fluker at the point of attack. He ain't going to win. Mm-hmm. Ever. Just not going to happen. He got to use his quickness. He got to use his feet. He um, with the Steelers. Going back to it, the Steelers need to gas the entire coaching staff, and they need to bring in teachers. And, I mean, Jerry Olsowski is – he can communicate, but he really can't put himself in Devin Bush's shoes because he should have never really been in, in an NFL jersey, and he couldn't play a down in today's NFL. And I don't think he could play Division One football in today's college football game. So I just – I think that Devin Bush has regressed from Michigan to the Steelers, and that is a humongous concern for me. Yeah, I mean, I just feel like it's uh, the thinking starts, and that takes away whatever physical advantages that you had. Like it gives you, it costs you like a step. So, uh, for for instance, on the touchdown he gave up in coverage uh, to the to the tight end there, uh, Disley, um, who's another rookie as well. I might point out. Um, but the, the, you know, he just was a hair late in reacting to the route and that's all it takes, you know? So you look, he bluffs, he bluffs up to the line of scrimmage, gets caught in snap, gets wrong footed and he's a step behind. Yeah. Yeah. I just mean, if you're, you know, like I can see that I can see him at least being, uh, more reacting faster and therefore being in a better position. But I just wonder if teams are going to continue to. They're gonna tr- they're gonna work very hard to attack him when he gets isolated against a tight end, just to make him prove that he can make plays and coverage against bigger players. Um, so you know, so to me, that's uh, that's something going forward to to really keep an eye on. I would like to see him by halfway through the year, by towards the end of the year, be better at at uh, you know adapting to that and and getting it to so that teams can't view that as easy pickings, or else they'll just keep doing it to him. You know, at some point he has to stop it. Um, I won't be by the end of the year if he's elite in coverage. If every, every pretty much person, 
you know, this concedes that he's elite in coverage. Yeah. I, I don't ever think we're going to say Devin Bush is elite in the run game. It's just never going to be. He needs a running mate that's elite in the run game that can also cover. Uh, somebody that's a step faster than Vincenzo Williams would be ideal. Sure. Um, to that end, Perch, what, what are you thinking about Mark Barron in terms of how he has, has fit so far into this? Because he is supposed to be the veteran president. He played every snap on defense last week. Um, is he the answer for what they're paying for him? Uh, he's had some struggles for sure. I mean, that's that's the real kick in the pants. Is the last couple of weeks we've had, you know, he and Bush both played some pretty extensive snaps. You have all that speed on the field, and you worry a little bit about how they're going to hold up against the run, but the coverage has been an issue. Uh, Bush, I, I saw some of that on tape in college with Bush where he struggled to cover some running backs and things out of the backfield and uh, it kind of happened week one, it kind of happened week two when he's being matched up with tight ends and, and running backs and hell, we put him on receivers and there's been issues. Same thing with Barron. I think Bush, uh, he's got certainly got, I mean, we had the same issues with Shane here. You guys remember all the complaining we did about Shane here when he sure. was the same age? Right? Look how fast this guy is. He's supposed to be able to cover. He can't cover for shit. You know, it was the same argument we had. And he just reminds me so much of Shane there. So good and bad. I think I think he'll get better, uh, whether it's this year or next. Uh, I think he's got some technique things to clean up there. But yeah, both of those guys, you know, and, and Vince Williams. I, you know, I'm probably a bigger fan of Vince Williams than most people are. I think he's a he's a heck of a linebacker and a good leader on the team and on that defense. But um, you know, uh, the combinations they can throw out there against, and they played two really good, you know, two Hall of Fame quarterbacks the first two weeks of the season and two good offenses. And they had spurts in those games where they looked pretty good. And then spurts in those games where the defense looked horrible. But yeah, there's some things, some communication things that need cleaned up. You've got a, a rookie and a, a guy who just came to the team. And now you're adding a, another guy who just came to the team as a second year player. And they're all going to play significant snaps. You're going to have miscommunications and the defensive coordinator is a piece of shit. So what are you going to do? There's going to be issues. Yeah. It feels like, you know, like they're zeroing in on, improvements and they eventually get around to them having a free safety who because of his either uh, limitations as a safety or limitations in coverage or whatever has to play 25 yards off the ball you know i mean maybe i'm exaggerating by five yards but still has to play deep to worry you know worries about giving up big plays if he's always you know so he always has to be off the ball that opens up gaps behind linebackers. If linebackers are struggling a little bit with reaction time and, you know, against play action and so on and so forth, and the safeties are playing deep because they're worried about getting beat deep, it, it leaves these, you know, endless seams for a quarterback who's able to react quickly to what he sees, throw the ball early, you know, find that gap, right? That's the that's the formula. Ben's done it a million times to, to teams. So it shouldn't be that unfamiliar to see it play out with the Steelers secondary, but it feels like, you know, if you, you either add Minka or you, you know, the linebackers get a little bit better, you put all that together. It seems like it could help, um, you know, try to eliminate some of that. And that might be the difference, you know, a half a second better from both ends. It feels like your pass rush is going to get home because, you know, in general pass rush, even with Bud Dupree on the field has been pretty good. Um, certain players that, have been doing who did a lot last year are not doing as much yet. Feels like Cameron Hayward's going to come around uh, in the pass rush game. So, like, I'm not so worried about all that stuff. But you know, I think you're right, Perch. That next year, 
feels like you got to add an edge rusher to really try to you know take it to the next level. But I don't know. I don't feel I don't feel bad about the corner situation, or you know I feel much better about the safety situation, the linebacker situation than I did a year ago. When are we going to see results? Is the question. Well, I, I mean, I posted something on the board about this too. It's if you count next year's first round pick going to Minka, it's like nine straight years of first round picks being spent on the defense. And during that time, you you let A B or you traded A B and let Bell go away in free agency. The offense is bared out, you know. And we still with, with free agency coming up, Hargrave's probably gone. We're gonna not we're gonna need a nose tackle. <clears throat> Dupree's gonna be gone. We still need an edge rusher. So you still need two premium picks on the defense. And you don't you, you may need another starting receiver if, if these guys don't pan out, the young guys they have. Um, you know, the offensive line's not getting any younger. You only have one real competent NFL tight end. They got a lot of holes, you know. Yeah. So it's uh, it it's and you gave away the one, it's it's just it's confusing. But one thing I, I'd like to go back to is the Minka thing. Do you think that's that trade is Tomlin realizing he better put up a winning record this year to keep his job? I mean, that, that's one of the things that really jumped out to me that, you know, you've got minority owners with the Steelers that wanted him out last year. And if they end up going, you know, and, and those minority owners were probably sitting there saying Roethlisberger is the only reason this team is, you know, in the playoffs every year. Tomlin can't coach. If Tomlin goes out and puts up a 4-12 and season without Ben, uh, he might be under some pressure. So I think maybe he made that trade thinking, hey, I've got to I've got to keep this defense afloat and hope we can win games 20 to 17 because Rudolph's not going to, you know, put up 30 for us. I mean, do you think, uh, I don't know, FC, you think Mike Tomlin has that kind of power in the organization to to insist on a trade? Because I, I think that, I mean, if you feel that, go ahead. Oh, I absolutely think that he has, I don't want to say the power. I think that he, you know, he called Colbert and he said, hey, you know, uh, we have Fitzpatrick. I think that, you know, we might be able to finish up 10 and four for the rest of the season and, you know, maybe back ourselves in the playoffs. If we get Sean Davis back, you know, torn labrum, you know, can be anywhere from six to eight weeks, you know, we might not have to score a ton of points and we could be hell on wheels come the playoffs. Now that's the message. I believe that he tried to, you know, sell to Colbert and Colbert bought it. Um, I think Colbert is probably definitely on his, last year or two in Pittsburgh. So I think that he definitely would like to go out on top, not, you know, with a four and 12, three and 13 type years. And I, and I mean, I can't hit the horse. I mean, I can't hit the dead horse enough. 2020 might be the last shot for all of them. For all we know, if there's a, if there's a year without football in 2021, I think you lose Ben and then you lose Colbert. Right. So go ahead. I think they're going to figure out the CBA. There is so much money. This is a little bit different than the last, um, you know, uh, I don't want to say, lo- I guess we'll say lockout because technically that's what it was. But, you know, with the rookie cap going in and the distribution of funds, the, the, the NFL is never going to pay their players like the NBA. The big, the, the, what people fail to realize is the NFL takes in more than the NBA, the NHL pro tennis and if you want to be real about it and not have their fucking doctored money they take in more than fucking soccer worldwide i read an article on forbes with the way that the the, the soccer the way that they corrupt 
funds and move around money to high to, to pump things up. The NFL is a beast. It is the actual 32 old boys club, and uh, they're never. And I think that the NFL union realizes that they're never going to get to a point of it being you know 65 35 to the players like you have in the garbage ass NBA. Um, you know, it's just never going to happen. So knowing yeah. that they're going to. They'll figure out. They're going to get rid. You're going to be down to two preseason games. You're going to add probably maybe two regular season games. So you'll go up to 18. And they'll raise the cap probably 10 12% to make up for the extra game check or two. They'll work it out. I really believe there's just too much money, too many people getting rich. And they really, I think they don't want to rock the boat. Especially with another cable deal coming up. Yeah, I mean, I, I know there's money. The money will drive it to try to get to done right. But even if they settle it, I just feel like you'll have a situation where the, all the player contracts are going to be guaranteed. The the structure of the way the salary cap works might be completely changed. You know, uh, to the to the I point where a team like Pittsburgh might not be able to compete the same way that they once were. I mean, I think that's where we're headed. You just look at the players. Who the star players seem to have more power now to, you know, uh, to adjust their own destiny. And I think once they get a taste of that, they're going to want to have it all, you know. So uh, that changes things a lot. At I the think. end of the day, I, I I think the Steelers made the absolute wrong move with Antonio Brown. I think they shouldn't have traded him. I would have fucking suspended his ass, and I would have been the first team to draw a line in the sand, you know. And and that's what they should. He was a player under. You don't cut off the nose. I understand that. I understand that's really easy for me to say now with Ben down, you know, so the season's most likely shot. Uh-uh. You, you, I mean, if you, you're only as good as your word, and I understand that the teams can cut a player at any time. Don't be mad at the team. Be mad at your agent. Don't be mad at your agent. Be mad at the guy in the mirror that you're just looking back at you that you couldn't earn more money. It's a sure. horrible way. To, to, to take a stand, but you know, if Antonio Brown wasn't such a fucking asshole, he wouldn't have been a six-round pick. He would have most likely been a first or second-round pick out of Florida State. Perch has very eloquently and precisely and to the point expressed all the problems that Antonio Brown had. Antonio Brown didn't get paid early in his career because Antonio Brown was an asshole. Yeah, clearly. Yeah, well, we probably need to discuss that further. Not the Antonio Brown, but the sto- FC freaking nailed it. The Steelers are in a shit of a situation now because they're paying Antonio Brown $20 million to go play for the fucking Patriots. That will never stop bothering me. And the reason why is because the Steelers had all the power in the situation and no fucking balls from the owners to the GM to the coaches. No fucking balls to look Antonio Brown in the eyes and say, fuck you, you're under contract, you come and play, or you sit there and we don't pay you and you're out of the NFL. That dude's such a megalomaniac, there is no way he could stand being out of the spotlight. There's no way he could have sat out a season and not been out there smiling, catching passes in the end zone, doing his stupid dances, saying booming and all the other shit that he does. He couldn't handle it. He could not handle it. There's no way he, he would have eventually caved. But that's the thing. Nobody's ever stood up to the guy because he's talented. The shit that he's gotten away with because he's such a talented football player, nobody else in the history of football has gotten away with. And it all starts with the Steelers. 
that organization has lost their way from the way that Mr. Rooney, Dan Rooney, and, and Art before him handled the play. The, the players loved those guys and spoke glow, glowingly about the, the relationship between like Ike Taylor and, and Dan Rooney, you know, calling him, calling him pops and stuff like that. It, you could even hear from Antonio that, you know, hey, that's not there anymore. And, and and just the respect that those guys commanded and the way that they treated players like family. And they, they wouldn't have been essentially bent over the barrel and held hostage by a fucking wide receiver. I mean, that's why they're in such a shitty position now, aside from Ben's injury. But it just I, I don't think we've stated that strongly enough on this show that they have severely not just fucked themselves. Now they're fucking the whole league because everybody's like, you know what? AB put the template out there. I'm a star player who's worth a lot of money. I'm going to unfollow the team on Instagram. I'm yeah. going to say something on social media. I'm going to demand a trade. Well, we got mink out of it. You know, so maybe there's, there's some good to it. But the Steelers lacking a backbone has completely fucked the NFL and fucked themselves. And, and I, I think we need to drag them through the mud more than we have on this, this show. Uh, yeah, well, we, we we didn't talk about it, you know, since the beginning of the season here, just because it was like, you know, yeah, just move. Yeah, exactly. Just move on on with the whole thing. But yeah, it's it's not only paying them the dead money. I mean, that was a sort of that was that that money was gone. That was good money gone after bad. They kept having to up his salary to try to keep him happy enough to play. So they, this this problem has been coming down the track for for years and years and years. The thing that really irks you is. I, like I don't blame the Raiders for waiving him because the Raiders could save thirty million dollars. They could basically wipe their hands of the whole thing and only cut their losses at the two draft picks. But the Steelers, there was no reason for the Steelers to trade him or waive him. Like they didn't, they weren't forced into that situation at all. They really weren't. Um, sure, that actually works with somebody that works with the Raiders organization. And there was a concern that Brunson Buckner might beat Antonio Brown's ass for real. And the person that's, I mean, it, this isn't like like a cousin of a, this is like somebody that like told somebody that I really trust that knows Brenton Buckner well, that there was a very, very good chance that Brenton Buckner was going to beat Antonio Brown's ass. Yeah, which would have been, I mean, like, think about the news story when that happened. That was going to happen within a week. Yeah. I just feel like, like I said, I don't, I don't blame the Raiders in this. Uh, I, I blame... The, the system that the, the NFL allowing the Patriots to basically, you know, talk to Antonio Brown. Well, the Steelers, it goes back to the Steelers. The Steelers allowed Antonio Brown's agent to talk to other teams to try to facilitate a trade. Stupid. Cause it did two things. It nixed the Buffalo deal where they would have gotten a first round pick supposedly. And it allowed the Patriots to say to, to Drew Rosenhaus, Hey, you know, like if the, none of this works, if it doesn't work out for you wherever you go, we'll have you, right? So if the Steelers play hardball, negotiate without Antonio Brown being allowed to be participate in the process at all, uh, then I think they would have come out better because you said he either accepts the deal to get to, to accept the trade to Buffalo or the Steelers suspend him. You know, it's one or the other. Uh, either way, you get out of the money. He doesn't have control about where he goes. Even if he goes to Buffalo and they suspend him, you know they're sure as hell not going to do anything that allows the Patriots to get the receiver from them. So uh, I just feel like that was a it was a bad precedent. It was bad business, and it I think more than you know we can assess tons of blame to the coaching staff and the GM, and we can put all kinds of. You know, we can say that they need to all be replaced, and it's better to just start fresh. I'm I'm willing to debate that. That might all be true. 
Um, I think ownership is the problem, you know, is the root of the problems that we got right now. Because as you said, there's a huge step down to a guy who's not a football guy and is from a different kind of generation and is a, you know, has proven himself to be kind of a conservative, small thinker about the big picture stuff for his organization and for the NFL at large. Um, you know, Eddie Munster Rooney has his good points. He's still got some of that Rooney, you know, charm. Like at least he understands he's supposed to be connected to the team and the players. Um, but yeah, he's caught in no man's land. He's not a coach that's, I mean, not an owner that's beloved. And he's also not an owner who's a hard ass businessman. Um, got the worst. Of, we got the worst of both worlds, guys. Um, worst manager in the NFL is what we have. I don't know. I'm not sure about the worst, but yeah, it's very, you can just see from top to bottom, it would, the organization would so benefit from fresh blood. So it would so benefit from fresh blood from the top down. Um, I don't think we're going to get that. And I think, you know, the closest we're going to come to it is we got a little bit of a fresh blood on offense situation going on. Maybe, maybe it's better for us to talk about that for a while. Oh my God. Um, and you're everyone's gonna say I'm an optimist. I really don't think the season's lost. So, okay, well, um, let's let's um, let's take a minute and talk a little bit about the Steelers' uh, offensive situation. We spent most of the time talking about the defense, and last week felt like the offense uh, uh, last week, especially once you know, once even even though Ben was injured, they they you know everybody started like picking up the level of their play the the coach called better plays the the team rallied around him a little bit they benched Moncrief and Switzer there was a lot of really positive developments that if they're if they yield some good results uh, I could see the Steelers offense being fairly successful in fact uh, you know I have fewer doubts that they will be at least somewhat successful than I do the defense being super successful I'll start with you Perch you know what what can we expect in this week's matchup and from the Steelers' offense going forward? Let's talk general big picture. I mean, the first thing they have to do is get the running game going. James Conner in two games has 54 yards. Jalen Samuels has 22. I mean, Conner's averaging two and a half yards a carry. Um, that's that's just not going to fly. So I think they've got to kind of get back to the running game and try and establish. And I understand the Patriots took that away and they, they were down and then. Even against Seattle, I mean, other than Benny Snell's big run, there, there hasn't been a whole lot to get excited about in the run game. I think that's first. Second is what we saw last game once uh, Rudolph came in, was establish the, the play-action pass. With, with, that's great. Sorry, I got a little interference there, I think. Go ahead, Perch. Yeah, some, yeah uh, with uh, Ben in there, they just refused to go play-action. I think that probably had more to do with Ben than anything else. You know, I, I think that they're going to do everything they can, just like when Ben was a rookie, to protect him as much as they can, to establish the run, to get the play-action pass off of it, to get some quick hitters and, and things like that going. And, and, you know, that relationship between James Washington and Mason Rudolph was special in college. They were just amazing together. It's been really good in preseason the last year, two years, too. And I'm hoping that maybe that will give James Washington the confidence he He's kind of got a little line of speed to his personality. I don't mean that to his game, but how they're more introverted, quieter guys. You know, it, it takes something to get them to come out of their shell 
and you hope he doesn't and doesn't just drift away the way Lima Sweet did. But it would be nice to see just him having that confidence of, of the quarterback and those two kind of growing together. But to me, that's, that's what we're going to see is you're going to see kid gloves with Mason Rudolph to an extent. They're going to try and force the run game a little bit more. The play action passing game will come in more. Uh, and then they'll work the deep plays off of that kind of inside out. Uh, I think it's what we'll see. And hopefully it uh, corrects a lot of the issues. Yeah. I mean, uh, FC, I, I'm not sure there's that much wrong with the run game. I, I think the problem is James Conner and trying to force the run game at the beginning of the game instead of using it as a as a you know a carrot to look to get the defense to look at it while you you know attack them vertically or whatever right like it just feels like the right. we've started out both hard. games in the bubble go ahead right it's gonna be hard to run out of three wide receiver stats with a split tight end um, with against a four three defense which we attempted to do against Seattle um, there's eight in the box. You throw the ball. If there's less than eight in the box, you run the ball. And teams are going to have eight, nine in the box against us until we show that we can throw the football successfully. Whenever we do have light boxes or even an eight-man box and we decide to run, the offensive line has performed better as a whole. Uh, Marquis Ponce has been absolute utter shit the last two weeks. He's been terrible. Terrible to the point where I give the Jets a lot of credit for benching Ryan Khalil, going to Jonathan Harrison. If Pouncey shows a bad first half again against San Francisco, it's absolutely time to get a BJ Finney at center. I I take care less. You got to be able to do your job. Ramon Foster and David DeCastro have both been exceptionally solid the first two weeks. Alejandro Villanueva was good to at times great against Seattle. I mean, how many times did you hear Jada Von Clowney's name called? Um, the same can't be said for Matt Thieler. He was better this week. The Steelers need more. Um, I think Thieler um, was a little bit comfortable, and I think he put on about 8 to 10 pounds that he really did not need to add. Um, I think that his movement skills or his lack of mobility and lateral agility are an issue right now, and we need to get better. Um, Zach Banner coming in the third tight end makes you so predictable. I understand what the goal is there. I would much rather see him at fullback, as funny as that would sound, hmm. in those short, you know, short situations and just let him try to drill Bobby Wagner or K.J. Wright in the hole. Um, passing game, Mason Rudolph kind of won me over more than I ever expected he would. He made good throws. I mean, even the throw to Moncrief was, was solid. It was good. Should have been caught. I can't remember too many horrific balls. I think Randy Fitchner got to – approach every game plan of do not be afraid to be great. In other words, you've got to attack. This is the NFL. You, I mean, I understand what Purchase said, and I think he's going to be right. We're going to be soft and stay for the passing game. That's not the way we should attack this. I think that we should run what Mason Rudolph does best, play action, vertical passes, deep, you know, deep comebacks. He has a far better arm than people are giving him credit for. And on that third and seven scramble where he got the first down, I thought we were going to win the game. And I was just like, you're going to be the toast of the town. Yeah, I think you make an excellent yeah. point, FC. You, as a quarterback, have to stare down a couple of linebackers and run the ball up the middle uh, and take maybe even take a hit to get your, your team a first down in a game where they really need you. If there were any justice in the world, that should have resulted in a win. And, you know, it, it nearly did. I mean, 
it's not like any part of the Steelers team overall, you know, specifically was bad enough to lose the game. It was like it always is a lot of little things uh, in a close game that you just, you know, if you have any one of them go your way, turns the turns the tide. But the Steelers have just been on the track the last, you know, eight games or so where it feels like everything little that can, you know, bite you in the ass ends up biting you in the ass. You know, to that end, I mean, I, I'm a. I wasn't the biggest fan of Mason Rudolph coming out. I'll tell you that in year two, I'm pretty impressed with where he is in terms of the progress. But uh, Perch, I mean, I'll I'll throw this to you. I sort of feel like the the word, you know, the, it's possible at on one end of the spectrum that uh, Mason Rudolph could be really good and the Steelers could end up, you know, contending for a playoff spot. That would that wouldn't shock me. It also wouldn't surprise me if he wasn't as good as we think he is to this point. And the Steelers end up really tanking in this season uh, going into next year. But I feel like the most likely scenario, the most likely scenario is the worst scenario. uh, And that is that he'll be good enough, but not great. uh, And that'll leave the Steelers more or less in quarterback purgatory going forward. Because then it's like, do you want to overpay for a guy that, is not going to make be a difference maker in the playoffs. You know, that, that is really what it boils down to. I mean, how, isn't that the most likely yeah. scenario perch? You hit the nail on the head. That's where they're headed. Um, we could spend hours talking about what's going to come from this. Uh, and we really won't know until the end of the season, but if Mason Rudolph goes out and has a pretty, if he's who I think he is, right. He's who we thought he was. Um, they'll finish up. Yeah, you know, he'll finish with six or seven wins and, you know, he'll finish just right around 500 for the year uh, for the games that he started and and they'll look okay. And some people will say, Hey, he's the quarterback of the future. And I think I'll look at it and say, well, he's a really nice backup and he's a guy who can start in the NFL, but he's never going to be a a guy that's going to lead, lead a charge to a championship, which is going to put them in a weird position in two years when Ben's contracts up and what if Ben plays really well the next two years and decides he wants to come back and Rudolph's only got a year left or his contract's going to be up. Do they force Ben out or do they, uh, you know, let Rudolph go? And that to me, I think the ideal thing to do is you, you saw what Cleveland did. You see what Miami is doing right now. Freaking just tank, sell off all your older components, anything you can get back, get a bunch of first round picks and rebuild the thing from scratch. It's got a two or three year process and then come back really good. Instead of going, keeping a pretty solid roster, getting a mediocre quarterback, going into eight and eight, seven and nine, nine and seven purgatory for the next 10 years. Uh, that's, that's the absolute worst case scenario. To me, it's either you have a stud quarterback and you have a shot of the Super Bowl, or you have a shit quarterback and, and you're horrible in rebuilding. And if you're stuck anywhere in between, you're in purgatory, which is worse than being horrible. So I think you and I are on the same page. We hope that they, you know, either get a stud or, 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 you know, or let Rudolph go and, and rebuild. Yeah. I mean, I just, I look at those numbers of, um, you know, Belichick without Brady, 462, Mike Tomlin without Ben Roethlisberger, 657, you know, winning percentage, 462 winning percentage for Belichick. I, you know, I, I just, I just feel like, uh, that is not helping you. Like, in other words, they'll be good enough to have a decent defense and a decent team and to maybe even finish over 500 in the season, you know, go, they're looking at a sort of, you know, eight and eight and eight, nine and seven, seven and nine every year, maybe even on a good year, you know, 10 and six, and maybe you might win your division and whatever, but you're, 
you know, look at those Steelers numbers since 1972 with with Big Ben or Bradshaw. They are 27 and 13 in the playoffs, and without them, they're nine and 11 in the playoffs. That's the difference. So, so to me, I'm going to ask you this question, FC. I think I know what the answer is. What would Mason Rudolph have to do this year in order for not only you but the organization to say, okay, we either encourage Ben to retire or we find him a new home? Like, how? What would Mason Rudolph have to do? What's the bar? There's no way on God's green earth the Pittsburgh Steelers will ever trade Ben Roethlisberger. Just knowing this, the way I feel about the organization and the way they do business, they won't do it. What's Mason Rudolph going to have to do to have Ben to say, "Fuck it, I'm done. I, I he, he's the better guy. I don't know if he'll be that magnanimous. He says has success. If we make the playoffs, and Mason Rudolph, let's say, is similar to Ben his rookie year, where he didn't drive, you know, the train. He wasn't the conductor, but he definitely was somebody throwing coal in the engine and helping it run pretty smoothly. Mason Rudolph don't got to come out and be Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady. He just has to be a good game manager that makes solid decisions. If he leads the team to the playoffs, they're going to get an offer for for him. I mean, a team's going to come up, you know, with Ben coming back. It may be a team like Minnesota who can get away from Kirk Cousins. It might be a team like Tennessee. That's a decision to make about Marcus Mariota. It could be a team like Tampa Bay that has to make a decision about Jameis Winston. I think that if Mason Rudolph is exceptional or very good this year, as funny as it sounds, with Ben coming back and saying he wants to come back, I think that they're going to move him to attempt to get a first-round pick back, maybe a first and third-round pick back. Sure. I mean, I guess I could see that angle of it. Perch, I'm thinking that if Mason Rudolph... You know, I mean, it's, it would be ridiculous. If he reeled off 13 or 14 wins, I think we have a different conversation. But I think, you know, he'd have to make the playoffs and win win a playoff game and maybe look like a competitive quarterback against New England, maybe even, you know, win against New England. If you, that happens, then all bets are off. But barring that, like, if they don't get to the playoffs or if they, they're one and done in the playoffs, I don't think there's any chance at all that, that anyone's looking at Mason at supplanting Big Ben, uh, except for crazy fans who are always enamored with the next thing. What do you see this? How do you see this playing out in that see, scenario? I just can't see the Steelers organization trading him if he's good. If he looks good and Ben's coming off a major injury and being 38, you really think they're going to trade the guy? Now, me, I would if he went eight and six, right? which puts the team at 8-8 eight and eight this year, and he looks like a competent NFL starter and goes out and has quarterback rating in the, in the 90s and, and, and looks like a guy who can lead a team. But you don't think he's got that really high end, you know. Uh, take a team over and be a franchise guy, but some desperate team's going to get even a, a high second-round pick for him. I would do it. I don't think the Steelers would because they want to have that next guy in place in case Ben comes back and he's not ready to go or he gets another injury or he retires or, you know, he plays out those next two years and then Rudolph's there for their transition. So I just don't see any scenario where they would trade him. You know, if he's great, they're going to want to keep him. If he's pretty good, they're going to want to keep him. If he's awful, nobody's going to want him. So I, I just don't think that Rudolph doesn't stay here for his entire rookie deal. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess it's a you know, FC. I'm a you know, I'm with both you guys. It's a pipe dream that he would he if you get in a situation where he's leading you to quarterback purgatory. In other words, if he's not the kind of difference maker that can really win in the playoffs, it makes you a Super Bowl contender. Uh, then, yeah, you know, move him when the, when he's high. That's what that's what the Patriots would do with you know, like they did with Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, so, not that what they would do is the be all end all, but it certainly helps us to think about what the p- potential outcome would be. But um, you know, even the even the Eagles moved their guy that won the Super Bowl. Like he came in as a backup and won the Super Bowl, and they moved him. How crazy is that? You know. Um, so anyway. Uh, let's talk a little bit about this week's matchup because we have to. Um, Steelers are going to San Francisco. Uh, you know, playing the San Francisco 49ers. I, I, before the season started, before I knew anything about the Steelers' uh, situation, you know, was, wasn't able to foresee where they are right now. Um, I thought San Francisco was maybe the most underrated team in football uh, in terms of their potential for the season. And I say that even not loving Jimmy Garoppolo all that much, uh, but it helps that you know they're sort of the, their roster is littered with B two B directional state guys, and so a lot of my favorites. So maybe I'm you know a little bit biased towards what their potential is, but I think you saw the you know the last couple of weeks, especially last week, they they look pretty together. FC, what is this matchup going to look like for the Steelers? Let's let's start with the the Steelers' defense against the San Francisco offense? Well, um, we're going to have to make sure that we tackle well in, sp- in space, and the defensive line is going to have to control the line of scrimmage. Um, it's basic, simple thing, I mean, for the Steelers. If they do the simple things, they tackle. If they don't blow coverages, if the defensive coordinator doesn't have asinine matchups, we generally do all right. And... The Steelers are in need production from some from players other than you know stepping to it, and I mean Bush to a point. The Steelers need more from Cam Hayward. The Steelers need a lot more from Bud Dupree. I love me some T.J. Watt, but he, I need the results. You know, I, I you know the effort's great and and the results will come. You know, but and. I don't know which – it was one of the two of you that pointed out about the black jerseys in Pittsburgh in the heat and yep. the – I believe it was UB2B and the Steelers' defense breaking. If that's true, that's ridiculous because Cam Hayward and Tuitt and Watt and Dupree seem to not play every single defensive snap. Now, I understand this is in 1992, but with the way your season's going, Owen, too, with Ben out of the game, I don't really want to see fucking Tyson Alu Alu. I don't want to see Anthony Chickwell. I hope his fucking foot falls off so he can't be back in the game. Can't be back in the Steelers uniform. I mean, we, we spend all this money, you know, for these quality players. We have nine first-round picks currently starting on our defense. That's, I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, the talent is there. If they lay an egg again, I hope Mike Tomlin fires fucking Keith Butler and takes over the defense. Because, you know, a good manager, a good president, Kevin Colbert, should be breathing down Mike Tomlin's neck saying, look, you know, I've given you the draft capital. Something has to change. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Can't say any better. The talent is there now, at least 
at least they thought the talent was there when they when they drafted them or whatever. Perch, I mean, I'm not, sure, I'm not so sure that like Tomlin meddling in defense isn't already the problem. We know he's making calls during the game. We know he's heavily involved in the game planning. I think Keith Butler got the job because he was willing to let Tomlin stick his hand up his ass and make a puppet out of him. I think that's the issue. Honestly, I think that as long as Tomlin's there, it's going to be his defense, and it's never going to be any damn good until he gives up the reins and hires an actual competent NFL defensive coordinator, not good old boy Keith Butler. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some something has to change. Something has to give. You know, I don't. I don't know what it is. Something's got to give. I'm. I'm. Whether it's Butler or Tomlin, some things are working, and in some ways, like they're they look better than they did at their worst, right? But they they still have have they get manipulated far too often in game. Whether that's because the head coach is meddling too much or the defensive coordinator doesn't have an answer for that before they, you know, during the week of practice, you know, so, so, something is off. I mean, it, it isn't necessarily the scheme or the play calls. It's, it's the adjustments, I think more than anything. And I'm not talking about like you have to adjust from series to series. I'm talking about when pre-snap adjustments are killing the Steelers defense. That, that to me is obvious. Who's responsible for pre-snap adjustments probably players as much as anything uh, fc i feel like that's a jimmy's jimmy's and joe's kind of argument isn't it that's who has to make your changes pre-snap um you would hope so um but pre for to make the adjustments pre-snap you have to be aligned in a somewhat intelligent way where maybe you have joe Hayden and steven nelson covering corners and Maybe your inside linebacker and uh, safeties covering tight ends and running backs instead of vice versa. So I'm with you. I hear you. But, you know, pre-snap, if Joe Hayden is lined up across from a fullback, pretty much you're shitting away Joe Hayden no matter what. Yeah, it's a waste of it's a waste of resources. I always say that to people. You know, I'm 55, going on 56. When when I split out wide and the other team in flag football puts their best athlete corner on me, that's the first thing I always say. To them. I was like, "This is a win because you're wasting your best resource on covering the old guy." You know, kind of feel like that's the way it is when Joe Hayden is stuck over there on one side of the formation in the uh, in zone coverage, uh, or even in you know when it if, even if you switch it to man ahead of the snap or whatever, it's still going to be a problem. Um, FC though, I'll give you a, I'll give you a silver lining this week. And that is that Joe Staley is a broken fibula and the 49ers, not only, not only is Joe Staley not going to play, I, do they even have a potential left tackle on their roster? Cause I'm not sure they do. Well, you know, and will it make a difference? It'll, I mean, it's just, unfortunately gives us another, Reason to attack Bud Dupree, and <laughs> I say us. I don't mean you, because to be honest with you, B to B, I give you credit. You tend to be a little bit more fair, and we'll, we'll just say patient with players more than me. Um, you would, I would, you. The Steelers have to start to get some production off the edge. The talent and the effort. Is there? I wish I could just scream at T.J. Watt and Bud Dupree being lazy or dumb or something like that, but it's not. They're 
they're really playing hard. They're playing their balls off. And, you know, what they're getting out of it is just not getting the results, which is a shame. And you got talk show people like that obese, blundering idiot Mark Madden who's throwing both players under the bus. And I I just say to myself, Christ, you know, what, what, I mean, you can only do so much. You know, there's 10 other guys on the field. So um, I think Justin Schooley might move to right tackle from Vanderbilt for, for, uh, and they might try to move Mike McGlinchey, former Pitt Panther, to left tackle. I don't see another answer that San Francisco would have on their roster. Well, you better. That's going to take. That's going to be a huge problem for them because that means a guy like George Kittle, who's a great blocker and very willing, is going to be chipping TJ Watt on every play. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's not Noah fan, but he ain't going to remind anybody of Mark Bruner or, or Mark Bavar out there. I expect that they'll probably go more two tight end, which is in an, another way kind of an advantage to the Steelers because that gets Kyle and. I couldn't say his name when the piece of shit played for the Baltimore Ravens. It's a, actually that's a that's a perch guy, perch. Kyle Juszczyk. Juszczyk, that's it. You're still living in Pittsburgh, so you're you're uh, you're up to date on all the Polish pronunciations. Hey, now we talked about the 49ers here for ten good minutes, and haven't even mentioned their biggest weapon, Mitch Wisnowski. Oh my God! Well, you know yeah. who, you know who liked him. Redraft us. Yep. That guy's happening. I mean, in all seriousness, though, Perch, I, I can't help but look at this. And I mean, the, the Joe Staley loss, notwithstanding, um, I, I feel like the the Steelers might have a chance to win this game in a, in a sort of like rally round, uh, you know, pick up our game for one week with the backup quarterback in there, and everybody's counting us out and all that stuff. But I I, I can't help but feel that the regardless of the outcome as far as winning the game, that the San Francisco offense is going to have its way with the Steelers' defense. There's too much misdirection and stuff that you where you have to be prepared for 15 different options, and it's a great play caller and a good, solid running game. You know, talk talk me down off the ledge. I feel like the Steelers are going to give up 30 points in this game. Well, Cal Shanahan is good at designing an offense. He does have a lot of weapons. Uh, he does have two running backs that have more yards than the entire Pittsburgh Steelers team combined. Um, I can keep going on. They they do have a a tight end in, in Kittle that uh, we needed a tight end, but decided we'd rather pick up a a backup quarterback in Dobbs instead. So we passed on him. Every time I see that guy, I get pissed off because we passed on him for for Dobbs, and I think we we all liked him in the draft process. Oh yeah. Um, uh, he, I mean, how much more do we need to talk about with San Francisco? They. Uh, another guy. They got Debo Samuel. I think we liked in the draft process soon. I think he's been Richie James. And, Richie yeah. James. They got another guy like that. I mean, they just they're loaded, man. That's what I was saying. Yeah. Looking at them ahead of the season, it just feels like, like I think you know, Brita has had health issues, but when he's on the field, between the twenties, man, I don't know if there's anybody better uh, as a running yeah, back. He's, he's in that elite class, and then they, you know, they bring in Mostert and and now Jeffrey Wilson is like the finishers bigger guys to offset that sort of like the quicker Brita so that when you're tired of chasing the first guy, they bring in some other guys. I just feel like if they had a really, really good quarterback instead of like a, a solid quarterback, uh, they'd be super dangerous. Just a good combination of the, that's the coach's wheelhouse. The head coach's wheelhouse is in this sort of offensive play design and, they got, and play calling. Yeah, 
they've got like Tevin Coleman as their third or fourth running back too. And he's a pretty explosive guy and good out of the backfield. So they, yeah, they've got some players and we haven't really talked to this. They've got Richard Sherman who could still lock down, you know, half the field reasonably well, but uh, the edge rushers are, are good down too. They got, a, they got a Bosa over there. They got uh, the Oregon guys, Armstead uh, in the middle and uh, they got, yeah, they uh, picked up from uh, Kansas city's uh, edge rusher. And so, yeah, they, they've got, a good bit of talent and uh, coach wise, you know, the Steelers are going to have issues uh, defending yeah. all the stuff that, uh, that, that he could throw at him. The Shanahan offense. Yeah. FC, how do you see this playing out with the Shanahan offense? If you can't block them, you're going to get fucked up. And I have a feeling that you're going to see a very, very, very emotional and aggressive Steelers defense. Yeah, I mean that that's the that's the way you win this game. The way you win this game is that your lines outplay the other team's lines because you know, that's how you, you no matter how good the play calling and play design is, if you fuck up the blocking up front uh, and defeat that at the line of scrimmage, they're in trouble, right? Correct. He who cannot win the line of scrimmage cannot win in the NFL. And I mean if if you doubt it, what happened whenever Seattle found a way to block Stefan to it this past week and the Steelers didn't sniff Tom Brady and their front seven lived in the backfield against us. You know? Yep. It's, it's a simple, in a way the game has changed a ton and in other ways it's hasn't changed very much since the twenties. Yeah. I mean, what do you think though, specifically, uh, you know, like it's not like their wide receivers are going to necessarily kill you. What I worry about in this is if, if Vince Williams can't play Perch, I don't know, You maybe you have the latest information on the Steelers' injuries, but if, if Vince Williams is not going to go or not be 100% and you're living with, um, you know, those two starting inside linebackers who are already a little bit susceptible to the run, I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm much more concerned about San Francisco running the daylights of the ball out of the ball with misdirection and different, you know, three different running backs in and out of the game kind of deal. Uh, you see that as being a problem for the Steelers defense? Cause you know, I, that's what my fear is. If Vince Williams is on the field, you've got a better run player, but a guy who maybe gets caught with misdirection and can't make up the speed as much with the other two guys they've got, you know, they're so fast and so athletic that they can be run at. Right, so it's going to depend a little bit more on the defensive line, uh, kind of slowing things up and, and uh, making people kind of get through the scruff a little bit. Um, either way, I think San Francisco is going to be able to run someone. The Steelers, uh, most of the misdirection and stuff. I, uh, I, I think that the Steelers will at least limit it, where they're not just continually just pounding the ball down their throats. I think they'll catch on after a while and and limit some of it. Um, <clears throat> You know, it's it, the Steelers play so poorly on the road on the West Coast. <laughs> Things like that thrown in there. You're starting a, a, essentially a rookie quarterback. Um, there's just so many things not to like about the Steelers' chances in this game. But, hey, man, I get to have every Sunday off the rest of the year. I don't have to be stressed. <laughs> if they win or lose, I'm just going to sit there. My nails are going to grow back. I'm going to sit there and watch a football game on the couch and not really care about the wins and losses. That's actually, I'm actually looking forward to enjoying football again for the first time in about 15 years. 
Yeah, especially if the coaching staff comes out and like they did when they didn't have Ben for four games in 2010 and really ups their game and like gives you something different to look at and, you know, is aggressive on both sides of the ball, like all the, all the stuff that they kind of don't do when they have Ben and they figure they could just keep it close and have him win it at the end, which feels like, you know, that feels like the strategy often, not only with Ben, but I think with often with these franchise quarterbacks around the league, a lot of them play for coaching staffs that are willing to, you know, be conservative and wait for their quarterback to win it. Um, you know, as, as, with a few obvious exceptions. Um, let's talk for just a quick second, uh, FC, about uh, Steelers' offense against the San Francisco defense. Um, you talk about the you know the battle with the lines. Um, I, I feel like if the Steelers can keep uh, you know their offensive line moving forward against this defensive line, they have a better shot at running the football and being aggressive. You know, getting them backed up than they do in pass protection. I, as good as the Steelers have been in pass protection over the last few years, young quarterback, good secondary, good pass rush for San Francisco. We, we want to try to keep them out of that situation, correct? Of course. I mean, we want to stay on, you know, first and 10, the second and five, the third and one. That's ideal. It's not always going to happen that way. But if, you, if the Steelers can control, can control the line of scrimmage, and, you know, give Rudolph a little bit of time. I'm confident he can make throws. If Fitchner, you know, if he lets his balls drop like they did in the second half of the third quarter and through the fourth quarter and allows Mason Rudolph to quarterback to win the game instead of just to hold on or to keep it close or will have a chance in the fourth quarter, any of those bullshit things, then – you know, I, I think we have a good chance of success. We just have to score one more point than the 49ers. Yeah, true enough. Um, and that may be, require a lot of points, though. Perch, just last It may not require many. That's true. It could go either way, I guess. Perch, what do you uh, – last word on the Steelers' offense against the matchup of the San Francisco defense in this game? If we can establish a run – I think we're going to be an effective offense because we'll be able to establish the run. We'll be able to move the ball, be able to protect the quarterback, and they'll be able to work play action off of it. Uh, <clears throat> otherwise, I'm still going back to can any of the damn three wide receivers get open. I'm pretty sure that uh, uh, Old Stone Hands is getting phased out, uh, Moncrief. And uh, boy, I hope we don't see as much Switzer. I really hope that we go with the three young guys. I'm sure Switzer is still going to get his three catches for five yards uh, in the game. But, um, yeah, boy, just give the young guys a chance. Throw those young three dudes out there. Give them the entire game. Let them go. Hopefully that happens, and, and hopefully they start to gel and succeed a little bit. I mean, they may not have a real classic deep speed guy that really makes the defense be afraid right now. But I, I think, I mean, it'd be hard to name three, a, a set of three young receivers who I think have more potential than Juju uh Deontay Johnson and, and James Washington. It feels like, you know, at least with those three, feels like you got some kind of like real potential there. And, you know, maybe if you let them play and let them get, you know, the reps and get into the flow, uh, the, the benefits of that that you reap might be really, really worth it. But I, I it looked promising because it looked like there was a whole lot less Moncrief and, uh, and Switzer in the game once Ben was out of there and once, and like you said, that first half of the third quarter where they felt like they were protecting Mason, um, you know, maybe this maybe this will offer an opportunity to do something special. Um, 
I, you know, I sure I want to hope that he's a special quarterback who can make a difference. I'd be willing to settle for him being um, an effective starter that you don't necessarily want to have start for your team long term in effort to win the Super Bowl. But in terms of coming off the bench as a backup the next couple of years, that you you want to feel confident when he comes in the game, and he's off to a good start in that regard. Um, listen, let's um, before we get our predictions for the game, let's uh, let's go to our around the league pick segment. Brought to us by John Perry. I cannot believe how fucking much of a Hummer Dean Blandino is. We'll go with uh, uh, keep to leave his mom because she's still dangerous. <laughs> we'll go with Minka Fitzpatrick's mom because I think she may end up being almost as dangerous. <laughs> she's the new uh, keep to leave's mom. I see. How about uh, Felipe Vance? <laughs> How do you think that's going to work out for your son? <laughs> What's that, Perch? I was talking about uh, Fake IDs by Felipe Vasquez. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, we, we never have a shortage of uh, sponsors for the show. So, 13 will uh, get you 30, baby. 13 will get you 30. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Uh, uh, let's let's go around the league. Perch, you got any any particular team around the league that you would like to talk about today? Uh, I'll give, no, I'll I'll give you first crack at it. You you pull the game, and I'll I'll go from there. All right. Um, Tennessee Jacksonville. Let's talk about this. Is a Thursday night game. We seem to be picking every Thursday night game. Um, Tennessee is a one and a half point favorite at Jacksonville. Somebody has to win that division. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure who it's going to be. Uh, both of these teams, it's, it makes an interesting pick because it's like, who the hell knows? Uh, I'll start with UFC. Who, what do you, what do you like in this game? I like Mike Vrabel. That's probably the person, player, coach I like the most in this game. Um, boy, I don't know what's going on with Jacksonville. Jalen Ramsey wants out. Um, I understand Nick Foles got injured. I'm going to take the Titans. I'll lay the point and a half. I won't be surprised if this is like a 9-6 game. <laughs> yeah, take the under. That's what, that's what I would say. That's what I said in the uh, Chicago-Denver game, and I would have I would have paid off for that. Um, Perch, what do you think? Well, back to your first point, the Texans win the South, right? I mean, aren't they a pretty damn good team? I think they've got a chance to, to run away with that division. I, I, I don't know. Maybe I like the Texans more than everybody else, but I think they run oh, away with that division. Oh, I just watched the Texans play last week. Ow. Yeah. I still think they're pretty good. I think they, yeah, I, I think they've got a, I, I think they've got a chance to get some. Boy, did they fucking stink it up. I play yeah. daily fantasy sports, and I was like, well, this ain't working out either. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no matter what you do, you're the letdown game. Um, yes, yeah, exactly. give me the Titans in this one. I, I think the Jags are just a mess. They lost the quarterback. The star corner is throwing an A-B type fit, trying to force his way out of town. Uh, I also like Mike Rabel. I think he's done a real good job there with the Titans. And they, they've got a pretty talented roster. Uh, I'm not not a big fan of the quarterback. But, yeah, give me the Titans in that game, and I think they win in cover. We all know Tom Coughlin's like Clint Eastwood in Grand Torino. So you know how that's going to go over, like Jalen Ramsey <laughs> trying to dick, dictate the Tom Coughlin. <laughs> that should be Yeah, not not well. Um uh Kansas City 
hosting Baltimore. Interesting right. matchup because, you know, uh, Baltimore seems like a team that they always have a defensive answer. I mean, they're they're not New England in terms of they're going to totally, you know, revamp their defense to to fit your offense's desires. But I feel like Baltimore right now is hot. They have they believe in themselves. And they may not have enough to really contend for a Super Bowl, but I wonder if this might be a closer game than Kansas City by six and a half. Perch, I'll start with you. You know, sometimes every once in a while, uh, like the greatest show on turf, an offense, a new offense, an innovative offense comes into the league and even the Chiefs last year. And it takes a long time for everybody to catch up to it. It takes over a season sometimes. I think the Ravens' offense might be sustainable if Lamar Jackson keeps being as accurate as – and he was a good passer in college. Don't get me wrong. My big knock on him was he's going to attempt to keep running the ball like he did in college. And these are some big boys in the NFL, and it's 16 games, and there's no uh, uh, Youngstown States uh, on the schedule. He's going to get broken down over time. And uh, just like RG3 and everybody else who looked like a stud their first couple of years and and fell off the cliff, I just don't think long-term you can run run the ball for 120 yards a game uh, and take those hits and keep it up long-term. But I, I think you're right. And the Ravens' defense is always uh, really effective. They're strong up front. They, they've got a really good, probably maybe the best secondary in the NFL still. Um, but – I don't bet against Mahomes. I mean, he's becoming like my new Brady. <laughs> I don't pick against him. Sure. Um, but yeah, I think that I think that will be a close game. I, I think the Chiefs win by like three. So I would, if I'm betting points, give me the Ravens. Uh, say we'll call it like I don't know twenty twenty nine twenty six uh, Chiefs win, but uh, do not cover. FC. I don't know who's going to win this game. I just feel like it's going to be the most entertaining game of the weekend. It, it, it does build to be that. Um, no Eric Fisher this week for the Kansas City Chiefs. We have Cameron Irving starting at left tackle. Ooh, ouch. How do you downgrade from Eric Fisher at left tackle? Cameron Irving. Uh, wow. Hey man. Um, I will also take the Ravens in the points. I believe that the Chiefs will win the game. I'll take the Chiefs. 35-31, because I really don't believe in the Chiefs' defense so much. No, that's the thing. It's like they the Chiefs defense is vulnerable at any time, but against a really hot offense, it makes me wonder if you know Baltimore I bet might you be they able to run with them. Nelson back. <laughs> what's that what's that, Essie? I bet you they wish they had Steven Nelson back. Oh yeah. Maybe. They were they ran him out of town, which is hard to believe considering how well he's played for the Steelers. Um Isn't great for Kansas City. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Um Let's uh, just quickly, uh, New England's a 23-point favorite this week against the Jets. Perch, do you like him? <laughs> 23 points. I like him as a 28-point favorite. <laughs> I was going to say the Jets are so bad right now. Jets have absolutely no way to score. Uh, you're not keeping Brady under 28. And the Patriots' defense is damn good. They're giving up, what, three points a game? Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, so uh, I think that the Patriots score in excess of 30. I think they keep the Jets under seven. Um, uh, fuck, that team is so good. I'm tired of those assholes being so good. I'm tired of them winning. I'm tired of their fans. Uh, maybe their plane will crash. Otherwise, we're stuck dealing with them. I'd be honest. I think this is the best team they've had. It's hard to say because, you know, they haven't really – I mean, they play the Steelers, and the Steelers weren't really – you know, at the what I would call peak Steeler strength with this roster that they had, and they they you know have been the 
Washington Generals to the Patriots for years and years, and then they played Miami. So we don't know like 100% for sure, but if you carry this this run back to the playoffs, what they did, that you feel a lot better. I mean, like what they did against Philadelphia was amazing. Um, you know, it, 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 I'm sorry, what, excuse me, what they did against the Rams was kind of amazing. And then you, you know, extrapolate that through the start of the season. It just feels like they're pretty much as good as they've ever been, uh, especially on defense, which is really saying something because they've had some good teams. Um, the, the, uh, let us go to this the team that we talked about earlier, which was the Seattle New Orleans matchup. So this is without Drew Brees in Seattle. Seattle's a four point favorite. Um, New Orleans have a shot to stay competitive uh, with Teddy Bridgewater. I, I felt at times he looked pretty good. Uh, FCL. Teddy Bridgewater is going to start. Hill is. Mark my words. Tyson Hill is going to start for the New Orleans Saints. Wow, that would be interesting. Uh, have they said anything to that effect, or you're just reading the tea leaves? John Payton refuses to name a starter. Then when they said, do you feel confident in Teddy Bridgewater? He's like, who said Teddy Bridgewater is starter? Interesting. Uh, so what does that mean for the, the New Orleans chances? They had no chance to win this game with Drew Brees on the right. <laughs> so I'll take the Seahawks. I'll lay the points. So we think we think Seattle – actually, that's a – Good follow-up question. Perch, you can pick this game if you like, but I'll throw you, since you don't like to follow the script, um, who are the teams that we we now think are good that we didn't necessarily think were that good at the start of the season? Uh, I'll, I mean, is Seattle one of those teams? Uh, no, I thought Seattle was good. I you know, I looked at that NFC West and, and uh, again, with the Steelers' schedule out there, and I knew the Rams were going to be good, and I thought Seattle was definitely a playoff team. I did not expect San Francisco to be this good. I'm not still not sure that they are, uh, you know, long term, but they're definitely way better than I thought that they were. I think the NFC South is kind of a mess. I don't like any of those teams outside of the Saints with Brees, and he's out for half the year. Yeah. Um, the Packers, I think, look a little bit better than than what I thought. The Lions look better than what we thought that they were. The Cowboys look better than what we thought. Yeah, but to, you haven't hit the team yet that I think is maybe the most surprising. Baltimore—that's about it. Who did you say? The well, Buffalo. I was going to say either Baltimore or Buffalo. Those to me have like surprised me with how good they are. I think Buffalo. I don't trust Buffalo's quarterback. I knew they had a good defense, but I yeah, I don't trust them anymore. I understand that we're playing the Giants last week, so you can't really go go by that, but a guy's accuracy is a guy's accuracy, and if you're winning because your quarterback is accurate it almost doesn't matter who you're playing as a measurement and i think for the guy who's been so knocked for his inaccuracy um he, he might have played the best game he's played so far in the nfl last week um i've you know like if that's if he's gonna if he's gonna be that accurate most of the time with that defense they're gonna win a lot of games in buffalo i mean they're they're an actual contender i think um but we'll we sh- i've been wrong about many things before like i always try to say to myself wait four weeks Wait the first four games of the NFL season before you anoint anybody anything, because uh, it just you can really get fooled with a couple of you know bad matchups. Four four games is a pretty good test. Um, anyway, I think we've we've gone round and round and round enough. Uh, plenty of other things we could talk about, but let's let's move on to our. Is it a five star matchup? I guess so. Um, the Pittsburgh Steelers at the San Francisco 49ers. Perch, tell me what's going to happen in this game because I really don't know. 
No, I don't either. Besides, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to have some uh, buffalo chicken dip. I'm going to kick my feet up. (laughs) I'm going to take a big, deep breath, and I'm going to relax and enjoy some football where I just don't care if they win or lose because it doesn't really matter. We're going to sit back and enjoy uh, Mason Rudolph and the young receivers on offense, and I think they'll they'll have some success and score some points. I I think the defense will... uh, uh, we'll, we'll have some some high points and some low points. I just think that you know, on the road, zero and two team, lacking confidence, young quarterback. Uh, San Francisco has all the bojo and the juice and everything. I think the Steelers lose by a touchdown. I'm going to call it. Uh, I don't know. Let's say uh, eh, maybe more than a touchdown. Let's go 26 to 17. Uh, 49ers win. And uh, you know what? We won't get too worked up about it. <laughs> you, you, you're the stripes. You need the stripes movie, or uh, not stripes, meatballs. It just doesn't matter. It just that'll be the cheer in your house. Uh, FC, what do you see happening here? Shockingly, um, I think the Steelers may uh, show a little more backbone than people expect. If I had to put a guess a score on my hammer, I'll take the Steelers twenty three twenty, and uh, I'm going to put a little right up together to explain why, and I'll post it somewhere on the message board. All right. Uh, I have gone back and forth on this game, not only all week, but even during the course of the podcast. And I, I've even gone back and forth on it, listening to the two of you. Uh, I should be smart and go with my with my gut rather than what I think, you know, sort of my analysis tells me will happen. Um, my gut says the Steelers will figure out some way to win this game. Um, there's There's too much on the line, and they have this ready-made excuse of, you know, us against them and pulling together for the next man up and whatever. So I will make it. I'll make it Steelers 28, 27 over San Francisco uh, in a thriller uh, that'll maybe put some energy back in the fan base. Um, That's all I got to say right now. Um, FC last word. John McDermott, head coach of the Buffalo Bills is the best coach in the NFL. You've never heard of. Boy. Yeah. I'm willing to go with that perch. Oh boy! Last word this week, man. Just uh, uh, you know, like I said, enjoy uh, enjoy this season for what it is. It's a chance to see uh, the young guys kind of gel. Uh, hopefully, Ben comes back full speed for next year. Uh, they get some good draft picks, and 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 you know, we've got two years left, I think, to to try and win a Super Bowl, or it's going to be uh, uh, another long 1980s looking drought for us. So, uh, enjoy the games. That's about all I can say. Uh, I got two final thoughts. First is Josh Allen is a better quarterback than Baker Mayfield, and the rest of their careers will prove this. There's a hot take for you. Um, and the other is having no expectations is kind of fun. You know, it's we, our expectations have been so high for so many years now, uh, for like the last 10 years, and we've been kind of disappointed. So maybe lower expectations might turn out to be a good thing. Gentlemen, uh, thank you for joining us and, and making a a lot of interesting stuff today. A lot of stuff to talk about. Um, FC, Perch, Fury, everybody at SteelerFury.com. This is Bradshaw to Ben. Will Mastertag, Accidental Zen, saying, go get them Steelers. Thanks for a great show, guys. Go Steelers. And I agree with you about Alan being better than that piece of shit, Baker Mayfield. <laughs> Johnny come lately. The new kid in town. Everybody loves you.
Gmail.com.